Ballers. Welcome back. We're Soccer Props. And it's game time. All right, Lady Ballers. This episode is a really good one. We spoke with our friend. He's an author, life coach, and energy healer, Seth Allen Taylor. And he's just incredible. We heard about him through a friend within the professional soccer space. And I've actually had the pleasure of working one-on-one with him, which is pretty awesome, too. Seth specializes in helping athletes dissolve the blockages that they're feeling mentally, physically, and emotionally. And he puts such a great emphasis on feeling our anxiety within our bodies. And he kind of like offers ways to help us clear that negative energy. Um, What else did we talk about? We talked about what players should do when they feel any sort of anxiety before games or reducing anxious feelings or panic attacks, which I know I've definitely had a panic attack (laughs) in college for sure. Yeah, or even like how to deal with a feeling when you feel like a coach is yelling at you or a teammate's yelling at Mm -hmm. you. And he just had a really awesome perspective on everything. And you're not receiving enough love. (laughs) <laughs> yep. that was a big part of that it from your parents part. from your yep. coaches everything subconsciously like not realizing it but mm-hmm. that's kind of where a lot of the stress is coming from right and um also he suggested how parents should talk to their kids when it comes to sports which it's just all of this stuff that we spoke about was incredibly eye-opening and he's it like just a, he's like a sports therapy guy and i, yeah. I feel like every team needs a seth every team needs a <laughs> seth you're right um, and it kind of like changed our perspective moving forward, which is cool. So thank you to Seth and thank you for what you're doing in this world, especially the athletic world, because we all know we need this help and, um, we're excited. We'll be doing more work with him down the road. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoy. You guys are going to like this. All right, lady ballers, let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a second. Guys, we have an amazing app to tell you about. We want you to go and download the BR app right now. You can follow your favorite teams, favorite leagues, favorite games, and you're actually going to get the fastest update to these games right to your fingertips. Go check it out. The Bleacher Report app. Do it. Do it. it. So (laughs) we are with Seth Taylor, and he is absolutely incredible. Um, He, what would you call yourself, a life coach? Uh, Yeah, author, speaker, life coach, I guess, is the thing now. I I think, yeah, I think that pretty much (laughs) is spot on. (laughs) I I don't want to tell the truth, so we just (laughs) say that stuff, you know. And uh, we're so lucky to have him here today because we're going to be talking about stress and anxiety and even the parent-player relationship that, I mean, everyone can relate to growing up playing soccer, like the pressures that everyone feels and everything. Are your parents going to freak out if you guys tell stories about this? No. no, no, nobody's gonna. No. Your parents are gonna unsubscribe. We'll <laughs> <laughs> so if you can say, they probably heard it already from us at some <laughs> point. No, definitely. Um, and so I personally worked with Seth on some like my some of my anxiety and depression that I was dealing with at the time because being an entrepreneur is stressful, right, guys? Yes, yes, You never know when you're going to get your next paycheck. (laughs) 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 And um, so we just want to hear, just tell us a little bit about your story and how you became who you are today. Wow. You know what's interesting? I've done a lot of podcasts and no one ever asked me that. They always want to know about the content, you know, the the stuff I have to say now, but nobody wants to know how I got there. So tell us. It's (laughs) interesting you say about the entrepreneur thing because one of my favorite quotes is Michelangelo and he says, he said, uh, if people knew what I had endured to gain my mastery, they wouldn't think it's so wonderful at all. You know? <laughs> I like that. That's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing is because what it takes to become, if you want to be a life coach or help people with this kind of stuff in any effective way, I mean, you can go get a degree and, and learn to talk right, but to do it that in a way that's going to help people, you have to destroy yourself. 
So I've been, it's been about 10 years of very, very, very intensive work on myself. But it started with, I mean, when I was about 33, about 10 years ago, I was um, suicidal, extreme depression. I'd had massive anxiety issues. I mean, I had, I'd had knots in my stomach for about five years that it wouldn't go away. Like I 24 seven felt, felt that. I had tics, I had uh, addictions, I had, I mean, multiple addictions, um, clinical, heavy clinical depression. Like it was severe. And of course I was married and that was obviously destroying our marriage and, and we had infertility, we've been trying for kids for a long time. I had all kinds of poverty issues. I hated, had no sense of purpose, hated my work. I was a sales guy, hated all of that stuff. And um, a lot of, just, I mean, a very unconscious person, but, you know, and I could go into the stories of why all that stuff happened, but, um, but it was a, you know, it's kind of one of those, like, once you've suffered enough, which I know you're really familiar with, and I, I don't know your guys' story, so I apologize if I reference her a lot. No, <laughs> you know, no, so, that's right. Um, but once you suffer enough, you know, you'll try anything, and I was, I was raised very, I was a very religious guy, too, like, we were raised, like, really, really religious, and and that wasn't helping, but my brother, my twin brother, I have an identical twin brother, and he was going through all the same stuff. Because well, hmm. we're twins, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. he's going through the same stuff, and he was up in Alaska, and he discovered this counseling center up there um, called the White Raven Center. And, and it was kind of in a Native American kind of tradition up there doing some really deep healing, and he went there and started having these pretty intensive healing experiences. And he was just calling me, and it's just going crazy. And he's, I'm not an addict anymore. You know, he kicked this addiction. I'm like, whoa, 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 what happened? And he starts telling me, and he starts teaching me these kind of, hey, you could probably call them mystical practices, meditative practices, and I start trying things. And within just a few weeks, man, like my addiction basically blew up. And if I told you the story of how that happened, it would, I, you know, that would be probably a little too crazy because it was wild, right? Basically, my wife did an exorcism on me. I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> oh <my laughs> it was crazy. But it was it was a very intense experience, and, and it kind of blew my world up, and it caused an awakening inside of me that I started going, okay, what's possible? Like, if I can go at, and, and, and I discovered, I'd been doing some reading in some of the um, kind of ancient traditions and discovered this, this kind of idea that healing was a process of subtraction, not addition, that it, it wasn't a matter of trying to... Um, add more stuff. It was a matter of subtracting everything that was jamming up who I really was. Uh, in the core, in, inside of me, everything I needed, everything I w wanted was already there. And so I just started going at it from a subtraction standpoint. And in a getting into all this kind of trauma, rather than it's a story of something that happened to me, which of course it did, but that trauma itself is energy. That there's energy inside my body that's actually jamming up who I really am. So I started going at it from that standpoint, and my whole thing was, what's possible? So I began an experiment because the poverty was a really big deal to me. Like, I had really deep poverty mentalities. Like, I'd always had food in my stomach, but we were raised with so much shame and anxiety around money, and it caused so much shame and anxiety for me that it's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at that. I'm going to go at this depression that seems to be jamming up any sense of purpose, no sense of what I wanted to be or do in my life. I was like, I know I'm a creative person, but every time I try to write something, I just, I'd hit within one paragraph, my whole body would just shut down. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go at that. And I just started setting all these parameters and I literally just started doing life experiments. Like the first one was, uh, I told my wife, I said, I'm never gonna look for a job again. Quit my sales career, went back to grad school, never gonna look for a job again. And she's like, what? And I go, but I will take any job that gets offered to me without a question. And I'm just gonna trust that 
if I just take my hands off the steering wheel, that this thing is going to go where it needs to go, and I'm going to just endure whatever happens. So that's how I ended up starting a business and doing all this kind of stuff. So when you say the entrepreneur thing is really stressful, it, it's incredibly stressful. And my whole thing was my job, I saw my job not as producing content or doing that stuff, but my job was to, in, to face the stress, the fear, all that stuff, and deal with it on an energetic level. So I'm going to deal with this anxiety as an experience in my body. And that would probably sound familiar to you because when we first started working, right, you'd say, well, I'd say, how are you feeling? And you'd say something like, well, I just feel really frustrated or something, right? And I'd say, what does frustration feel like, right? And it was always leading you into your body. Where is it in the body? And you know, these kids that I work with now, I got these, I'm going to do a little shout out, right? I got <laughs> these three kids that I'm working with, and they're all on the same team, Finley and Akshaya and Carter. And they're just absolute rock stars, man. I mean, these, these kids come in and, and they're feeling all this anxiety and it's completely destroying their ability to just, I not just perform. I mean, it, it's their ability to, to train, their ability to take risk, their ability to approach their weaknesses effectively, their ability to enjoy the game. It's not a game anymore. You can tell they're working, right? And, and we just, uh, that same thing, we just go into what's it feel like? Well, it feels like I just don't want to play. That's not a feeling. And I said, that's a thought. What's, what's the feeling? And all three of these girls, it's really amazing to watch. They just like, pretty soon they're like, it's, it's in my chest. You know, I can feel it in my chest. And I started teaching, well, what is that? And we started going into the energy and they just empty themselves out. And they're just, all three of them are just like rocket ships just taking off. And it's amazing to watch them all of a sudden enjoying soccer and loving it and improving and training. I just did sessions with two of them yesterday. And to watch them in one session flip from like unable to, unable to train to training courageously without fear. It's just an incredible thing. And, and that was basically, I had to endure the entirety of that process within myself before I had the ability to, to do that. And you and I talked about that mm -hmm. because the idea of being a coach of any sort, a life coach, it, what you, if you don't go fully, completely into it in s within yourself, mm -hmm. you end up in a space where you start trying to tell people stuff that you don't really understand. Yeah, I, I mean, this is incredible, and I don't know if you guys can relate, but, like, as a health coach, even, sometimes I felt like I was an imposter. Like, I was get coaching my clients and telling them certain things, but I wasn't doing those things, you know? Yeah. And, like, mm -hmm. I feel like that happens a lot with a lot of people, and they feel like they're an imposter in their own body. So it's just amazing. Like, I just love that you just brought that up. I feel like you really do need to do that inner work before you can help others. Yeah. Like, you can't, like, what is the saying? It's like you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. You can, yeah. you know, like when when you're filling yourself up, you're overflowing and you can actually like be better for yeah. other people and help other people. So yeah. I think that's incredible. Like what you went through happened for a reason. Yeah. And now you're helping all these people Absolutely. and all these soccer players, especially. Yeah. Um, and you work with professional athletes, too, yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Not just yeah. soccer players. Yeah. The other other sports as well. Yeah. But, uh, but my main connections are in the soccer world. So I've been working a lot with, I've got some MLS players and some I got one kid in Europe right now. And some of that stuff but yeah it's and i got a i got a player at wake forest it's interesting and there's a yeah just a variety all over the place from youth all the way up yeah. what and what they're all suffering from the same process i was so. gonna say what age do you think that is a good time to start like digging deep inside yourself and, and understanding question. your feelings it's a good question because it's it's about there's a there's a cognitive element to it right yeah. when you come to the point where you can be self-reflective yeah and then there's also an element where when the trauma really first started, starts emerging, because from about zero to 10, that's kind of the formative, what we call it developmental years. Mm. And that's when you're enduring the trauma. I was going to say experiencing <laughs> yeah. the trauma. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And then and then it's right around tw 11, 12, 
12, 13 mainly, is where you see it start to emerge. And so this mm -hmm. is where, this is why junior high is just kind of this insane experience. Turmoil, yeah. yeah <laughs> so intense because your ego is not even developed enough to really handle the complexity of life. But you hit, you know, all this trauma starting You're to emerge. still feeling, yeah. yeah. And so that's why it gets so, and then all the hormones, of course, right? You know, you got puberty and stuff like that. So there's so much, so much trauma. But if you, but you're also gaining the cognitive ability. I find the girls have a little bit sharper cognitive ability a little sooner. So like around 12, 13, and with boys I've seen around 14, in the 15 or so, where they really start to grasp, have the ability to, to actually see it, recognize it. And, and actually, it, it's weird that self-awareness is not something like about 15 that they start to really become very self-aware and uh, capable of taking ownership in their own lives. Hmm. Um, you know, I, was, I tell people all the time, I, I was telling, one of those kids yesterday, I'm like, hey, like, this is 200 years ago. You'd like, you'd be like, have a farm and be like married by now. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, you're built for this. You can do this. You know? Yeah. But no, it's, it's just so amazing. I wish I had something like this when I was younger because when I look back and through our time working together, I, I started to realize that I was using food as like a coping mechanism since I was like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. And I remember back, like my mom was like, appalled that I was getting a Big Mac cheeseburger. I didn't need it. Like, I wanted it so badly. And she was like, why do you need it? And I feel like in that moment, I it was like a stressful time with soccer and everything. Like, I was eating without being hungry and all this stuff. So I think that, I don't know, there's so many different ways that these players are trying to cope with their stress and anxiety. And it could be in all different ways. It could be not eating. It could be over-exercising. It could be all, this, all these different things. Yeah. Um, so I guess well, one of my questions would be what are some of the common problems that people come to you with? Like, yeah. what are like what's a common soccer girl prob that these yeah. la lady ballers are coming to you yeah. with? Yeah, it, it's actually pretty standard. I've actually and to the point where I'm wanting to start writing about it soon. And I've been doing this for four years now, and and there's something I, I haven't figured out what to call it, but I but it's a type of high performance anxiety, where I mean we know what we all know what performance anxiety is, mm -hmm. right? And it's and it's that translated into. Um, it's really about examining what, what I see is that, that there is a parental relationship that gets formed with the game. And that's because during those developmental years, they're receiving such intense feedback for positive or negative, which both do damage, right? In, in those formative years when unconsciously all they're looking for is love, right? That's it. Like they're orienting themselves their entire life from zero to 10 is like, where's my love? How do I get it? That's it. Mm. Where's mom and dad? How do I get their love? That's the only task. And 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 we're honestly, their brains are not, they're not structured enough. You know, uh, all of us, our brains were not structured enough to be put into that structured of a, s a setting. You know, as organized sports is and as soccer is. Here's the lines. Here's the goals. Here's the task. Here's the rules. Here's the love. Here's the supplemental love over here. The coach, right? Here's your teammates. Here's the thing. And here's the feedback that we're going to give you that's going to run your life. And and it starts creating this. Let's see. I want that. And if I do this, I get that. Right, and then there's mm -hmm. this what you know this kind of triangulated relationship gets created, and so what I see is very commonly it's uh, a hatred for the game is growing, right? There's a, anxi a deep anxiety associated with the game. The game has switched; it's no longer play; it's work. Right? Yeah, and I, I always yeah. say it's maybe you d they don't actually hate the game, but you're associating yeah. hatred mm -hmm. with it. Right, and exactly. they get so that's tied together. A, that's a good nuance actually, because the relation it's what it is is it's the relationship's becoming toxic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like they love it. A part of them loves it and a part of them hates it. It's yeah. That's why they become this kind of divided self, mm -hmm. right? And so, and then this works, I mean, a lot of the pro athletes I've dealt with. I was speaking at the uh, Major League Soccer Rookie Symposium a couple years ago, 
and I'm talking to the rookies, and there's about 70 of them there, and I said, I said, raise your hand. I said, what, tell me what age the game became work. work. Yeah. And it was interesting, this kid in the front row, he's like, six? Yeah. And the guy <laughs> next to him is about seven. And these guys are just, and of course, the guys are lining up afterwards to tell me how much they hate soccer. I mean, I had, I had one guy like, I hate, he was like seething, I hate soccer. Mm. So I'm really good at it, but I hate this game now. <laughs> I'm like, wow. so sad. Yeah. Well, it is. It's really, really sad because ultimately we're talking about something, you know, when you talk about play and work, like play is a psycho-spiritual state of pl- what we call it, psycho-spiritual state, play and work. And it has to do with your relationship with the things you do. Okay, mm-hmm. remember the whole Mary Poppins, like, in every job there must be a job, there is another man. <laughs> right, and she was like, snap, job's a game, right? And what she was talking about is reforming relationships with the things you do, right? And you guys know as entrepreneurs, right, like anything, no matter how fun it is, you know, hanging out with friends, talking can become work. And once it becomes work, then your relationship shifts with it, and now there's something here to be earned. And the greatest thing in the world is when you can have a play relationship with whatever you do, which it requires that kind of inner child kind of space, you know? Mm. And when you have a play relationship with what you do, it's not work. You get up and you go play. You know, that's, that's kind of what my life is now, I just play, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole thing is we rob kids of that at such an early age that they're switching over. And so the reason that, that American players, okay, and I'm, and I'm not just speaking about the men's side. I know the women's side is very successful, but that speaks a lot about women's soccer across the globe more than it does about, well, the women here are healthy and the men, and the men aren't. That's not how it is. Like, there is a relationship with the game that is carries the full weight of my identity, carries the full weight of m- the love that I need to get, and all that it becomes this kind of elephant balancing on a pool cue, and I have to somehow it has to maintain that and it can't because soccer can't love you you're going to fail it's just a given like the best game ever you failed a lot you know and so there's this kind of shadow side like when i when i'm successful i get the thing you know Mm. what if i what if i fail and it haunts the experience i mean can you guys relate to that experience when you get to the field and you're kind of unconsciously assessing the other team already? Always. Yeah. 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 Right? If they're wearing <laughs> black, they're immediately better. Right, right. <laughs> <That's what> <laughs> <laughs> and it's because there's those wounded younger parts of you are immediately going, are we going to get love today or are we going to lose love today? And they're assessing that. And you feel this when you see those, oh, man, they, that girl can't even kick a ball. You're like, oh, thank God. And there's that mm. sense that of safety that enters mm-hmm. in. Well, that creates an emotional ceiling on what you're capable of doing because I can't put you on the field against a better team, against better players. I can't put you on a team where, you're, where they're way better than you, which, of course, leads to higher level of improvement. But I can't do that because you're not emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, a few days ago, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm coaching at Bellevue High School, and me and the varsity coach, I'm coaching JV boys. He co- coaches a friend of mine. We had a varsity kid come to us and say, unless I'm guaranteed to play for half, half of it, every game, I'm not going to play. And I'm like, huh. You know, and you can see it, it was like this. I, you, I mean, the tears were there, too. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just want to play. I'm like, what? And I go, hey, will you acknowledge that this is deep? Yeah. And he's like, I'm like, there's clearly something that he, if I'm on the bench, I can't get the love. Yeah. How am I supposed yeah. to get the love? I know. And how much of that do you think is his parents? Or uh, do yeah. you think it, like, I don't, it's probably a combination of both, but. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like there's so much pressure that they're putting on themselves, yeah. mm-hmm. like, because they're scared. Like you were yeah. saying, it's kind of like survival. A- and also, like do you think, uh, I mean, for personal, I feel like the love was, I wanted it from my coach. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents were always supportive, but it wasn't like highs and lows. Like, you yeah. played terrible, you played amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were always like, you did, you know, yeah. you did a 
good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think when I – I remember, like, my senior year of college, if I didn't feel, like, the love for my coaches, every day I would have so much anxiety. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. in practice, like, if I thought they didn't think I was playing well, I had right. so much anxiety. Right. And it kept getting where, like, every game I was, like, so scared. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's, like, evenly split? Does it depend on, like, the age? Well, you have to think about it kind of in, in a hierarchy, in tiers, because – when you were born, your coach wasn't like in the room, like waiting to hug you, right? He so was. No, yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> he, did get, he, did, he was birthed at the same. <laughs> Probably. I, I can see that your parents are like, Wait, <laughs> you got five minutes with your mom and then they hand you the yeah. coach. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's literally something in the most. That would be funny. Uh. No, it, what it is 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 you have to think of it like this: like your ego, okay, and a part of you. It's a part of your psyche that's in charge of your survival. It's that caveman reptilian brain, frontal lobe kind of part of you. Its job is to help you survive the trauma that you carry and the trauma, that the threats that exist externally. Okay, so it's very caveman-like. You know, saber-toothed tigers outside the cave, and every day you wake up, how are we going to survive today? Right, and most of us function through that operating system. Right, the idea of getting healthy is we switch to a more advanced operating system. Right, it's something that we call spirit or soul, whatever term you you prefer, but it's a hi- some people say higher self. Right, well your your ego when it doesn't get its needs met by the primary care- caretakers, those parents, which, which, you know, nobody gets out of childhood without trauma, nobody, okay? I'm a dad, like, I'm, I'm a good dad, but trust me, like, there's trauma. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> like, I consider myself a decent father, but I, I can pinpoint every mistake I've made, you know, because it's, oh, parenting is really hard, right? But you, you, you come out, what your ego does is it starts hunting for and creating attachments to whatever's necessary to get that need met. Because the trauma means the need's still there and it's not being met, and it's you're kind of almost part of you is like stuck, mm-hmm. you know. And we could get into the quantum physics of how that works, but you know, spare your listeners this. You know, there's some twelve year old girls in the going, What in the <laughs> <world>? <laughs> But the idea is, is that there is this this trauma and there's this need still trying to get met, and your ego's like got this kind of heat seeking missile, like where are we going to get this? Mm-hmm. Well, a coach is a natural alternative, right? And now that's where we're going to get it. Mm-hmm. But make no mistake, that's a parental need. And a lot of coaches feel this. I had the coach of the Seattle Sounders, okay, Brian Schmetzer, one day. This is like a year and a half ago. I get a text out of nowhere. And season had just ended, and he's having final. And I never hung out with Brian, but like I, somehow he got my number from one of the players or something like that. And he texts me, and he says, will you meet with me today? And I'm like, yeah. You know, clear my calendar, go down there. I walk in, and this is how the meeting started. I walk in, and he's like, he just looks at me and goes, why is it my job to tell some kid that he should marry the girl that he loves and <laughs> move out of his parents' house? <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's not your job. That's literally how the meeting starts. And he goes, yeah, it's not my job. I'm like, yeah, that's not your job. He goes, well, why do they keep asking me to do that? I'm like, that's a great question. And that's a whole, we just spent an hour talking about <laughs> why we, these players are coming in. Because they're young, man. They're so young. And they're coming in with all these unmet needs that get projected onto him. And he's like, I just want to coach soccer, okay? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be dad. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, have you ever? Well, we called I've our ca- I have called, yeah. I've accidentally called teachers and coaches mom and dad before. Well, we called Sean, our coach <laughs> dad, for years. Like, it yeah. is, it well, because he bought us lunch all the time. <laughs> like, we literally <laughs> say, dad. <laughs> have, you, have you ever subconsciously said that? And you're like, why, yeah. why did that just come out of my mouth? Yep. Yeah. And it's just because, like, yeah. that mm-hmm. older, younger yeah. relationship and just, like, you start to the two start to get so entwined with each other yeah. that yeah. you look to them for the same sort of approval mm-hmm. that you would look to your parent from. Absolutely. Wait, and yeah. it's funny too because you know the, I'm coaching JV at Bellevue High School, and the head coach is a guy he's from London, you know, but he's African born, but he's from London. He came up in the Arsenal system, played in MLS for a while. A guy named Steve Zakawani, and he, and Steve was like, he asked me to come coach him. And he's like, I need someone to explain like rich white kids. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> rich white kids. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll help you with that. So 
there was I'll just be standing on the sideline, and my job is to kind of be the emotional balance of the group, you know. And at one point, I remember where it's like a couple games into the season, he said, "Hey, hey, come here." Like one of them goes, "Why do they always keep looking at me?" <laughs> and I go, "Your dad." And he goes, "I'm dad." <laughs> your dad. He's like, why am I dad? I'm like, I'll explain it on the way home. <laughs> it's like, but that's that's really what it is, and there and it's because that feedback started when they were five years old, and yeah. they were going, and that five year old brain. And we have this idea that five year olds are some like parents. They so often have this idea that their their five year old understands that I'm just trying to cheer you on and be positive. We're at the, the pool the other night, and my kids are going down this water slide. Okay, at our YMCA. And my, my son, my six-year-old son, he goes down the water slide, and, he, and every time he slides into the water, my wife just starts cheering. <laughs> and I go, hey. I go, hey, don't do that. And she goes, what? And I go, I just, she goes, I just want him to know we're proud of him. I go, for going down a water slide? <laughs> and, go, just, and she goes, well, what are we supposed to do? I go, babe, like, does he get that at home? Do you cheer like that for anything when he's reading? <laughs> like, she goes, no. I'm like, yeah, you're, so you're giving him this, like, adrenaline-fueled, like, amped up love <laughs> for going down a water slide. Like, <laughs> so uh, this is how we form. He gets an, an unconscious relationship with the things he does and the things he performs. This is how we start performing. You perform. Who we, who's the first people you perform for? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. it's funny that you said water slide because then you guys ever feel like when you're going off the diving board, you're like, mom, 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 watch. Yeah, yeah you have to be right. looking at like, me. I don't yeah. know why. Do you want to make them yeah. proud? Yeah. But yeah, you're yeah. like, mom, 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 watch. And then you like just jump off and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good job. Actually do anyway. That's it. That's a very yeah. skilled slide. Yeah. That's so interesting. I yeah. There's such a fine line, I feel like, because like, are these parents supposed to be cheering on their kids even when it's the tiniest little thing, or should they be waiting until they score a goal? Like, you know what I mean? I feel like it's yeah. Well, yeah, you, the, you know, the research has been clear for a long time. You actually, the best thing you can do is remain, remain neutral. It's just yeah. literally yeah. sit Don't there say and anything. shut up. Yeah, the best thing you can do <laughs> is, is, is focus on their experience, and, yeah. and th what you want is them to take ownership of what they're doing without it becoming a triangulated relationship. So, you know, like my wife was trained as a play therapist, which is hilarious, and I still have to kind of bugger about that. But she, she, you know, the idea is that a child does something, and, you, and if I was to look at my son and go, you did that all by yourself, how do you feel? You know? And actually let him experience ownership where it's not this, I'm not going up and I'm not going down. Yeah. I'm just here and I love you. So we, so parents ideally become this kind of cushion that you can always, if you fall, I'm going to be here and I'll yeah. catch you. You know, that yeah. remember the car ride home thing, right? We always talk about the car ride home is such a, what if the car ride, the second that door opens, it's this invitation to a place of deep safety and mm -hmm. love as opposed to now I have to prepare my report, which yeah. is what it is for most people, right? When yeah. you guys got in the car after, after practice, what'd you get? How was practice? And then you have to start your report. It was good, it was bad, and if it was good, you know, how, why was it good? And if it was bad, how do we make it better? And then they try to fix it, yeah. and they do all this kind of stuff, and, that, and they all think that that's good parenting. And it's because they've got their unmet needs <laughs> deep in their unconscious, and they're projecting it on you, and they need it to be good, right? Mm -hmm. And so in a way, we end up parenting our parents, and that's a very anxiety-ridden kind of thing, and they feel it all. Yeah, whoa. I yeah, that's the, uh, the that car ride home thing is is really interesting. What so like what's an ideal car ride home conversation for a parent and a their that is an kid? excellent question. Right, like how seeing as you're going to be a mom here pretty soon, we should <laughs> 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 get into this. No, I'm not. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's funny because I I do parent workshops, okay, a lot, a lot of soccer clubs and stuff like that, and and I get that question all the time. Like, wh what am I supposed to do then? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I had this one dad fired up. It was in Philadelphia last year. He's like, well, I want my son to know I support him. And I go, well, try this. I said, son, I support you no matter what. But I'm going to not watch you in practice today because this is your space. And I'm going to go grab a coffee. Mm -hmm. And I'll be here when you're ready. And I said, he's like, okay. And I'm like, and when he gets in the car, I go, just try this. Instead of how was practice, try this. 
how do you feel? He's like, that's it? I'm like, yeah. And then anything he says goes. Anything he says. And you don't fix it. You don't try to do it. You just, he goes, and so if he says, I don't, you know, crappy, I feel, I feel terrible. And you go, okay, you want to talk about it? And if he says no, you go, okay, well, I'm here if you want to talk. Yeah. That's it. You know, just be a receiver. I love it because you're not trying to fix the other person. Right. You're letting, like, you're allowing them to actually tell you how they feel. It's like right. an open-ended question. You're, yeah. like you're not saying, like, yes or no's or whatever. Yeah. I love that. It's presence. I think, yeah, yeah. I th exactly. But yeah. what if they score, like, an amazing goal or have, like, the best game ever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can't you say, great job? Well, no, you are not allowed to say that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, no. Obviously, you can't. Though the biggest goal, you know, actually, it's funny. Is that the research shows that the the, the thing that the, the child's most impacted by is the affect on your face, hmm. which is wow. fascinating. That, that's a really, really interesting. Like when when it's that that kind of huge thing, they're like, oh, they <laughs> feel that really <laughs> intensely. So like the be the best thing is if we can say, hey, nice job, and I do that myself all the time. I look at them, nice job, buddy, and I try to stay kind of neutral in that. But they yeah. they hear those words, and it's an affirmation that they need. But if I can tie it more less to their performance and more to their experience, you know, when, when I when I address their feelings, wow, you did that. How you feeling? You know, and they can go, I feel good, Dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah like you don't have to yeah. fill that bucket of their right. own yeah. feelings exactly. for them. Exactly, yeah. and he's filling it himself. Yeah, and I'm just there holding space for him. And they're really what what they need. And, and it changes as they grow, right? The developmental phase shift. You know, once they hit nine, things really start to shift to something differently. And then they come out of the emerge out of those years right around 12, 13. Parenting's a totally different monster. Mm -hmm. we, ideally, it switches over to more mentorship. Yeah. You know, right around 13, 14, like we start giving them their life a little bit and we, we're here to help them kind of shepherd them through that process. Yeah. But, but it, yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's a fascinating thing because I, when I talk to parent groups or when I do these talks, I, I'm always trying to remember people, remind, I mean, I did a talk at the USC a few weeks ago. I'm like, guys, we are, in, it's all directors and board members and coaches. And I said, we're in the child development business, not player development. Yeah. Yeah, it's wow. child development. And they go, and we are building an entire platform of player development completely without child development in mind. And that's why this isn't working. That's why our players, by the time they hit 22, 23, they're burned out. They've hit an emotional ceiling. They don't know how to improve. We have professional players that go train with the best coaches in the world and can't get better. Mm -hmm. I had a player I was working with as a national team player, okay? And he was so weak on his left side, the teams were game planning him. And I, we started the session with, like, what's the deal with your left foot? And he just goes, why should everybody ask me that? <laughs> like, yeah. Isn't it obvious? And he's like, well, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, yeah, you know, I struggle with it. And I go, do you train it? And he goes, yeah, every day. And I go, do you? you know, do you train it <laughs> or do you just do what you've always done with it? And he's like, oh, it's probably, probably that one. <laughs> right. You perform. You go to practice and perform. I mean, I try to tell this to these kids, like, you know, with those three girls I was telling you about, I always ask them, like, think about how much time you spend on the field in training, not training. Yeah. Just yeah avoiding the thing that yeah. you yeah. should be training. Exactly. Just performing. Juggling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way I started working with them is one of them, I, when I used to just do private soccer training, I trained for like two years and every time I'm out, can we work on long balls? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then be like, we never trained before. We Nothing ever changed. And that mm -hmm. was the whole thing is that, when there is some part of you that is like we need to find, I mean, the needs of a child is safety and love. And if there's a part of you that is still seeking that, you will seek it and you will not go beyond that need until it's met, right? And trauma it functions kind of in a time loop. And so until we meet those needs, and we, you know, you know we, do, we call it soul integration, right? We find those younger parts of us that are stuck there still trying to get their needs met. 
And so when you're as an adult, that really jacks your life up because it messes with your relationships, with your work. It creates drama. It creates all kinds of stuff. And everybody else around you has to carry your burdens for you. You know, and the whole goal is what if from a very young age we teach them how to meet their own needs, then the coach doesn't have to carry that burden, and then it's just on them. And that's how we turn people from, like I talk about antelopes and lions, you know. Like we run because we're being chased or we run because we're hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And we are not producing lions. We're pr- producing high-performing antelopes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm really and fast antelopes. So <laughs> it's like I s- train strength and conditioning for young kids, like starting at age seven, and we'll have days where we give them time to address the elephant in the room, and they're supposed to pick the thing that they think they need to work on the most, mm. the thing that they suck at, essentially, yeah. and be able to admit that to themselves. And it, it doesn't have to be what anyone else picks, but it is amazing to see how many kids will not admit to the room what they're bad at and some mm-hmm. will be open to it but that uh, that resisting of like being able to even admit that you have yeah. things to work on like yeah. if that's not fixed young we do that our entire lives right mm-hmm. so like how do you go about breaking like getting someone to be more self-aware of themselves like you're gonna have to tune into the next that. episode okay. again. No, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. no it's it's a well it's funny you might be able to explain that even better than me because that was what we did with you yeah. Essentially. Um, so one thing I noticed was that I was resisting what I needed to fix the most. <laughs> so <laughs> like if I noticed, like if I resisted meditating, it's because I knew that was the thing I had to work mm. on. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So I feel like a good, like maybe just asking them that question, like wh- why are you resisting th- getting better? Yeah. Like, you know, like what is it? And I feel like a lot of the thing for with me was ego. And like <laughs> we talked about this, but like I wasn't living – in my higher self, I was living with my ego because my ego was trying to help me survive. Like, I was like, I'm resisting this because, like, I don't want to fail. I need to survive, yeah, you know? Yeah, I don't want to feel so that So, exactly. Yet. And, like, so it wasn't until I finally, like, took the steps to get better and actually took the time to feel all of that anxiety I was feeling and admitting to myself that I had an issue, it just, like, I felt like it, like, opened, like, floodgates, yeah. right? Like, I was like, wow, yeah. I, I, I'm able to make improvements. And I guess, I don't know if that was any... Oh, it's huge. Well, you said the key yeah. word, you said feel, right? Yeah. Yeah, when you come yeah, to that point where you feel feeling. it. Because yeah. what you're experiencing is you're encountering yeah. what we can call resistance, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, with her, like, you know, I had you gave her... Can you... Is it okay if I share a little bit about Absolutely. Okay. So I t- I've been waiting to do this, by the way. Okay. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> my truth. So, okay. I gave her basic homework, okay? When we started basic homework. And it started with, there's a type of meditation I want you to do, and it just has to do with feeling. And you're going to do it for 10 minutes a day. Simple. And I, the reason I say 10 minutes a day is because if anybody tells me I didn't have time, that's a lot. It's right. you know, we you all had, had 10 minutes. Had time. <laughs> we all have 10 minutes. Right? And so the idea was we're going to start this practice, and the, the goal is to do it 10 minutes a day. And so you know, I'd say, oh, hey, so the next week, hey, did you do your meditation? Oh, you know, I did it three days this week. Oh, really? Why not seven? And then they'd be like, oh, you know, and then the things would come up. And what it, we would encounter is resistance. It's an unconscious resistance. Well, just bad habits. That, bad habits is a nice little fancy word we like to put over unconscious mm-hmm. right we're, we're unconscious of these things and we're resisting things so when you have a kid that won't go into their weakness won't admit their weakness you're encountering resistance the question is what's the resistance feel like and that's where we get into actually drudging up from the unconscious what's really going on because if i went into you know i said why you know what does that you know feel like what do you if, if for a kid like that if you say mm-hmm. a kid is like not that's afraid to say what their weakness is I, i'd say i mean what are you afraid of and then we just go into that. And eventually they say, well, I'm afraid of, if, if we could get them to the point where they could say, I'm afraid of failing. Oh, really? What's that feel like? And what will happen is eventually that trauma will emerge, literally, in the body. And my goal is to teach people how to feel that. Because yeah. once you feel it, you can heal it. And I don't mean that to rhyme and 
sounds catchy, but the words are once and honestly, healing is all is almost impossible without feeling. Like you, if you can't feel yeah. that trauma in your body, in your body, not in your mind. Like everybody knows to think about it, but if you can't feel it in your body, it's very difficult to heal it. And that's one of the reasons I have a player right now. It's fascinating. She's sixteen, and she was on a high dosage of inhibitors. I can't remember the actual drug she was using, but but it was. She was on 25 milligrams a day, and, sh- and it was she was still having, like, three panic attacks a week. And I said, okay, we're going to go at this thing. But panic attacks is an, ov- it's an overload of an energetic experience in the body. It's trauma exploding like fireworks in the body. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, well, let's, let's get at what we can. And the hard part was she couldn't feel much because she was, like, on such a high dosage of inhibitors, she couldn't feel anything. And, and when you – that stuff, it doesn't just numb the negative stuff. It numbs everything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't select your feel-good hormones. Yeah, you can't like selectively you numb your emotions, you know? It's, it's really crazy. Well, and, and we did some good work, and I finally got to the point where I'm like, listen, we can't go any further until you bring this dosage down. So she brought her doses down, and she's like, I'm like, any anxiety there? And she's like, no, but I get a little irritable. I'm like, all right, what's irritable feel like? Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, give me an example. And she's like, she talked about how um, – Clicking pen, she was this mm-hmm. person clicking yeah, a pen. And I said, <laughs> I literally picked up the pen and go like this. She goes, yeah. Like, <laughs> All right, there you go. Like, what's, what's that feel like? And immediately it's, it starts coming up. And, and if you guys, you guys are, I'm sure you understand what chakras are, right? It, it usually pops away in the chakras is where mm-hmm. we repress that energy, where, where trauma gets repressed. So a kid like that, like if they, they learn to feel that resistance, you'll feel it come up in their body immediately. It'll come up, you know, solar plexus or heart chakra or that kind of thing. And that trauma will emerge. That's the actual barrier. It's trauma and it's energy. And that's why if you if you address it on an energetic level, it goes really deep, really fast. When people talk about anxiety, anybody who's listening to this right now has anxiety. Like you said, mm-hmm. it, a lot of people say, the first thing you have to do is feel it. Because if I ask any one of those people that's listening, hey, what's the anxiety feel like? The first thing they're going to say is a thought. They'll say something like, oh, it, just, it makes me just not want to get up in the morning. I'm like, oh, well, what's that, that feel, feel like? Yeah. Right? And eventually I'll go, in your body, what are we feeling below your neck? And then we start bringing their attention into that, and eventually they'll something will emerge. It's in my it's in my chest. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's always been there. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah. Okay, now we start paying attention, and now I can teach them how to to do that. It's one. I don't know if you remember when we first started working. I told you it's like this is not therapy. This is Jedi training. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's we're gonna use the force. We're gonna actually go in and learn work with the energy. So what yeah. would you recommend for people who are feeling it, like in their chest, like all the yeah. people mm-hmm. listening who have that anxiety? I was actually just gonna. What t- are like tell three you, yeah. or five things that they could do on yeah. their own just to like yeah. help that? Well, the, the first thing is if you actually the second you start paying attention to it, okay, and it's painful. People don't like to do that, but it, like what I had her doing was ten minutes a day of actually just sitting and paying attention to it, and that's more difficult than it sounds, mm-hmm. right? But if you start paying attention to it then you can, a, it actually will start working itself out, out on its own. Mm-hmm. Like it's our ability, it's, it's our ego's tendency to bring us only in our minds. We're just thinking, 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 thinking. It keeps our attention away from it. The second we pay attention to it, your body actually starts wanting to push it. Your body doesn't want to hold that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it'll start pushing it on its own. Things we can help with it is actually moving the energy. We actually use a lot of guided, guided imagery. So I would do meditations that had, we would use light. So I would picture it like if you have a pain in your chest and I had you start to visualize a light, a really, really bright light, you know, starting really, really like small. Like this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When even, you know, and, and make it even like, you know, you ever seen the end of a welding torch, you know, that's yeah. super bright? If you were to picture that inside you and then every breath you take, it starts to expand, you would feel it. You're literally creating reality. That's how reality is creating the mind. And you can literally expand that energy inside your chest and you can transmute energy. So that'll actually have an effect on that energy that's jamming your chest. 
and you can do that. And little by little, your body will literally start to work that out on its own and start mm-hmm. to move it. And it, sometimes it can be a little weird. People like, you know, start coughing or something like that. And, and that energy starts trying to move out of the body because it doesn't like to hold it. And, it. and the body tends to perform a little bit like a toothpaste tube as it squeezes from the bottom. It'll start pushing that energy out because energy, tra- I mean, we're actually meant to flow vertically, you know, through all the chakra systems. But, you know, so when someone has that anxiety, basic meditation of just mm-hmm. deep breath and paying attention will start to have an effect on it. I mean, it helps when you have someone to work with, but I- if you just, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, basic, a daily practice of 10 minutes a day is better than anything else. Like, yeah. if it's done every day, you pay attention every day, even basic prayer, like some people, it doesn't even have to be religious prayer, but this idea of asking God or the universe or whatever it is you, you know, you want to address, how you want to address it to help you move mm-hmm. this energy out, it'll start responding. Yeah. And uh, and we could like we're talking about in somewhat mystical terms right now. We could get into quantum physics right now and quantum mechanics and how that works because it's all field theory. We're dealing with energetic fields and the movements of them. You know, we're dealing with so much. Cra- I mean, you're ninety nine percent empty space. You're you're just a bunch of weird particles moving <laughs> in and out of the quantum vacuum. If we look at you at, at a small enough level, you're, n- you're you don't even exist in space time. Like, you're, you're very mysterious, and so we have to acknowledge <laughs> That's that. That's rude. <laughs> 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 right? well, we have to acknowledge. Yeah. It's funny. I got an 11-year-old kid I just started with, and, and he's like, he's got all this anxiety. And I said, uh, I said, okay, let's get started for session number one. I said, have you seen uh, Avengers Endgame? He's like, yeah. I said, Ant-Man. He goes, yeah. And I go, Doctor Strange. He goes, yeah. I'm like, good. That's all we need. I go, Star <laughs> Wars? You didn't Star Wars guy? And he goes, yeah, I love Star Wars. And I'm like, perfect. That's all we need. And then this is going to be no problem whatsoever. Because <laughs> we start getting into quantum physics, and I'm just quoting movies while I'm teaching yeah. them quantum physics. I'm quoting Ant-Man, and he just gets it. And after two sessions, he's already like, I, do, I, I, I get this yeah. whole thing. He's starting to understand it, and now it's like, okay, now we're going to do the Doctor Strange part. We're going to go into experiencing it in your body. And he's just way into it. So, But that basic visualization can have a massive impact. Yeah. Massive. Now, it can get a little weird, so it helps to have someone to guide you through that process. You know, you can call Carly, and Carly can help you through that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> back to when we worked together and like it was so hard for me to sit there for 10 minutes in the beginning I was thinking about 1,000 other things like like I was thinking about ending it like immediately just being like I can't do this and I realized the more I sat there I was like holy crap I have so much stuff here and then I would feel it in my chest I would feel it and then I would feel it in my throat and I'm like what is happening it's like all this energy like kind of like uh, you know like coming out of me yeah um and I thought that the the imagery meditations were so powerful like i just picturing the light thing like we would picture the light he would be like picture it like me touching your head and then the light like going through your veins and like as you slowly think about it you're focusing on that image and you're not thinking about a million other things (laughs) so you're just becoming more aware and we didn't talk about this but bringing the awareness just being just noting what triggers you is a huge step, yeah, right? Helpful. Like yeah. even before you even go into it, just right. being like aware of when that happens. Yeah. So for me, like walking, like I, I would have a super stressful day, and then as soon as I was, wa- I would walk into the house. Uh, that's when the trigger would happen. I would feel it. I'm like, oh my god, I need food. I need food. Yeah. I don't know why. I just start eating. And um, when I was in college playing soccer, same thing. Like, I would eat a, an entire bag of buffalo pretzels. Without in one sitting, without even thinking about the it. The spicy ones. The those yeah, are, those are good. I had acid <laughs> reflux. I could eat a bag of those. Seriously, but you know what I mean. Like it just like yeah. w- when looking back, I'm like, wow, I really didn't deal with what I should have in college as a soccer player. Yeah. So much pressure on you. Yeah. And I had a panic attack in front of our Spellman. Mm. 
in, in the uh, locker room. I was so embarrassed afterwards, but it, like I like exploded with yeah. crying because I I don't even know why. I feel yeah. like we all have. I cried right? in the middle of a lift one time with yeah. Riley, and we were like looking at each other like, <laughs> why am I? Yeah. Why am I crying yeah. right now? Do yeah. you think that some people like if say the ten minutes aren't working? Or it works so well that they feel it all the time. Is that something too? Like, is there yeah. extremes where that person's like so focused on their emotions and on their feelings that maybe it's like taking away from other parts of like their life, like their soccer, yeah, friends, question. family? Well, they, and, and now understanding emotions and feelings are two different things, right? So emotions are an expression of a feeling, right? So a feeling is can be felt physically, like you can. Sadness has an actual kind of signature to it, energetic signature to it, and it can be expressed. But but tears are a way of moving that energy. We're meant to move the energy out. Our problem is, is because we tend to we tend to cycle it through, you know, mm-hmm. as a, and ex- keep experiencing because we're experiencing trauma that's held in your body. So there's some six-year-old part of you that's just in, stuck in those tears, and we just keep being the six-year-old. Like you made a really good point when you talk about observation. That's one of the most powerful things you can do is when you come to the point where you can observe your experience instead of being your experience. So if you have anxiety and you feel it in your stomach, right? Instead of you like going, I feel sick, you know. You can look at it and go, yeah, it's some part of me, is it's, it's in me. Like, that's in me. And some part of me just begins to observe that. I remember I had a player saying, well, I, 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 people say I'm angry. And I said, you're not angry. I said, you have anger in you. But you're not angry. I said, let's observe that anger. And I actually kind of led him into just observing it. I had him just picture himself playing soccer angry. And I was like, wow, he's really angry out there. And he's like, yeah. I go, how angry is he? And he goes, really angry. And I go, go ahead and let him be angry. He goes, nobody's going to get hurt here. Let him be as angry as he wants to. And he kind of took the reins off the part of him <laughs> that he was watching. And then pretty soon he's like, he didn't get violent, but he's like, he, uh, later on I was like, how bad did it get? And he goes, well, he was, he was going to draw some blood from somebody. He was just, yeah, he was slide tackling people and he was yelling at his coaches. And, mm-hmm. and But the thing is, though, anger, again, is energy too, right? It can help move it out. So what, what we don't want is them to, to pay attention to it and, and then just kind of keep cycling through it. But if they're observing it, literally, the body will start to move it out. Like, body has ability, it wants to balance itself, and it wants to heal itself. As you guys know, you guys are all experts in this area. Body wants to heal itself. But um, if we start to observe it, it'll start kicking in and actually doing that. Once you're out of the mind, the ego is the only thing that holds it in place, you know? And there's some other stuff that can be involved. Trauma has this kind of clingy thing going on, you know? But as long as you're in the monkey brain, right? Mm-hmm. I remember Corey Mascar was on your guys' show. He was talking about that, right? As long as you're in that, that stays in place. The second your attention comes here, your body starts almost like birth pangs, trying to actually squeeze it out. So the second they start paying attention, it's not going to torture them. It'll start to move. And the question is, do they let it move? Like if your body starts wanting to throw up to get energy out of it, you know, will you allow for that? You know, mm-hmm. There's times where I process and I, there's just huge coughing attacks. My body's just trying to get energy out. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's, it's pretty radical. I, mean, I had a buddy of mine one time, he was, he was throwing up. And it was like black stuff coming out. I mean, that was trauma moving out of his body, you know. And so I'm not saying I'm not saying go gag yourself. What I am saying is that your body will naturally start to move that out the second you start to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ha- finding resources. There's tons of resources. There's so many things out there that are that are helping with this kind of stuff. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create that. Obviously, I can't help everybody in the world, but the more people that get help, like like you, you know, mm-hmm. the more we. We teach, a teacher teaches a teacher and then teaches other teachers and we start to really help people with this. There's a movement happening and it needs to happen because there's so many kids out there suffering right now. 
That's crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. Because if I saw someone physically like getting emotional, like where they're screaming or like doing something, I would think like, okay, you got, you need to relax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Calm it's it interesting. Down, right. Yeah, like maybe Button you shouldn't. it back down, suppress it back down. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if if I was in the weight room and you were crying, I'd walk over and I'd go. Well, first thing is I'd I'd, I'd search around. Right I'd say, what are you feeling? And you'd be like, I'm just. And I'd go, like, what's in your body? Feel it. And I would make you go into the feeling, feel it more, because mm. what your your ego is mm-hmm. trying to reason with it. You know, make a story out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is just really hard or whatever. I'm really stressed or I'm really, you know, I had a kid show up yesterday, w- Carter, one of the girls I mentioned. She showed up and said, how are you feeling? She said, uh, okay. And I was like, like hmm. I go, well, what's going on? She goes, I'm exhausted and overwhelmed. And it's a 13-year-old kid. She's playing like three teams right now or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I go, well, what's exhausted and overwhelmed feel like? She's really tired. Like, yeah, what's that feel like? And I just kept going in. Eventually, she's like, that's right. She's just like tapping her chest, mm. like yeah. I go, let's go, let's go see if we can get that. And then we, and then I started talking her things about s- like self care and stuff like that, and how to help herself. You know, as a, and I said, you know, it's not just, you know, I said, what do you, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Well, I'm watching TV. Like, oh, okay. Well, let's let's bring in some some better techniques. You know, wh- what does meditation look like? What does being kind to yourself look like? But, you know, if if you had gone into, not away from those yeah. tears, y- you actually can switch from just kind of cycling this thing to moving that energy out of the body. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like our knee-jerk reaction <coughs> is always to push it back but down. But that, yeah, and yeah. that is yeah. the problem. Like, we yeah. keep pushing it down, and then yeah. you forget about it, but then it pops up in yeah. other parts of your life. Well, it's yeah. hard, too, because like <coughs> I feel like a lot of the times we're in an environment that is not very conducive to just, like, letting things out. Like, right. you can't just let out your emotions at work. You can't just yeah. let out your emotions yeah. mm-hmm. on the field. It might not be the appropriate place, so then if people aren't yeah. taking the time to do that, yeah. Well, and, and you don't even have to necessarily exhibit it physically, you know, like I did with, with that one player when he was like, I see people say I'm angry. I'm like, well, let's go into it. And when he was, I, you could feel the emotion, the anger moving out of his body, and he was completely calm, but he was observing the part of him that was angry and letting it go. So it's just energy. Mm-hmm. And energy can be expressed in the body, but it can also be moved, simply moved out. Mm-hmm. It, it, a lot of it has to do with understanding how reality functions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, we all are accepting that this is reality when this quantum physics tells us it's not, right? Mm-hmm. So I just showed him. I said, well, let's just, let's harness the ego's ability to visualize and create reality, and we're going to use it to our advantage here. And we're going to go ahead and, I mean, I, I had a girl yesterday, like Akshay, she was there, and, we, and she had this part of her. We were just doing a drill, okay? So I'll use drills in one-on-one training to trigger kids and just do, create something that's hard but fun, push them beyond their skill set. They fail, immediately they're triggered, right? Because we can't fail, because we lose love, and so this young part of her kind of comes up, and she's she's a Jedi now. So she, I'm like, did you feel that? And she felt it right in her solar plexus. Did you feel that? And she goes, yeah. And I go, and with her, it's so easy. I just go, how old is she? And she goes, she's kind of, she goes, she's five. And I'm like, mm-hmm. right. And I go, and whoa, and I go, and sadness shows up. Lots of sadness. I go, whoa, she's sad too. And she's and she's observing it. And I'm like, just, I go, why don't you just picture her right in front of you? I said, just let her cry. And you can see it. Now, there were some some tears starting to go because she's not able to fully separate herself from that five-year-old part of her, you know? So she's she's having this experience with her. And I said, just hold her, let her cry. And she's just letting that. And you can feel the energy moving, literally. You can feel the energy moving. And it's just energy. And it is sadness. And it's repressed, energetic experience. You know, and it's, I mean, we tend to hold grief in our chest. If you ever get tight in your chest, that's probably a lot of tears repressed in there. And it's just emptying out of her body. But she's letting the part of her that is sad cry. Mm-hmm. The part of you that was crying in the weight room wasn't the adult part of you. 
It was a younger part of you, but we're so identified with our trauma, we think it's us, and yeah, it's not. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Does that yeah, make sense? I, yeah, I, I like that you're saying that it's you're two different. It's two different people. Like you're not your f- your failures or your sadness or any yeah. of that. Like it's like a separate part of you. Yeah. And like just acknowledging it. Like we talk. I think we talked with Corey Mascara and saying like when a negative thought comes into your mind, think of it as a cloud separate from you. Yeah. Away it's from not you, you. That's passing through. Yeah. And you're letting it go. And it's you know it's just. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Um, one thing that I just thought of, like a lot of uh, a lot of people have said, like, I, I guess the question that people have been asking us is, w- how do I deal with my anxiety before a game? Like even mm-hmm. just before sure. playing, and yeah. this happens. Like we, I think we got like fifteen questions yeah. about that. Yeah. And I don't know if these girls realize if it's a good energy or a bad energy, but like, what is a yeah. tip that you would give these girls who yeah. feel that? Well, there's there's it's kind of a multi-layered thing because. Ultimately, what they need to do is actually get that energy they're feeling. So say you get knots in your stomach, okay, or there's tight, the, f- the focus is turn towards it and do what we've been saying this whole time. Observe it. Don't be it. So observe the knots. Don't run from the knots and try to bed them back down. Mm-hmm. Observe them, okay? Recognize that they are not you. Recognize that that's energy in your stomach. And ultimately, it does need to be emptied out. You can come to the point where, y- where you don't experience nervous anymore. I'm doing quotes here, right? You don't need... You can literally come to the point where you don't get nervous, and that's what happened with uh, Finley, one of the girls that I mentioned. She just she went she she came to me because she's like, I get so nervous before games, and we started doing actual work on getting that energy out of her body that she was feeling, and then that just ended, and then she just started destroying on the field because there was no nervous at all, there's no fear. But if you're in a space where you you know you don't have that, that could take a little while, a month or two, of doing real work, you know, and then that's over. If you if there's somebody right here, we're listening right now, and they're on their way to the game, you know, and they're gonna they're about to do it. The first thing to do is just observe it, okay, and go into your breath, okay. Use your breath. If you actually start to fill your body with that air, there's an energetic movement that can happen. You can kind of tap into some higher sources of energy within you, okay, or what I call spirit, right? You can actually tap into that, and and it, you can bypass that in a way, right? And you're that uh, your oxygen has a capacity to open us up, open up the chakras, energize you, and ground you. Yeah. Right. And so you can bypass that energy in the stomach now. But also, let's go it just understand. Anybody's listening to this, understand you can get that out. It's just energy. You can get it out of your body. And this whole like it's healthy to be nervous. That's not true. We we do that because we we lack either the resources, the knowledge, or the courage to actually go into our bodies and empty it out. But I mean, for five thousand years, people have been saying, oh, you can actually come to the point where. There is a clarity through and through. There's, I mean, I, I was raised in a Christian tradition. There's a scripture that talks about the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart and mind. Like you can literally have a peace that goes p- anything beyond what you can comprehend in your mind. Yeah. You know, and that's the goal. Wow. Of this thing. Well, sometimes I just feel like people might be using it to project their problems and be like, well, why aren't they helping me? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like instead of like yeah. dealing with it inside, I feel like maybe sometimes that's where it could get yeah. very tricky. And, um, when we do that with a lot saying. of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, you guys know. You guys are in the social media world. I mean, talk about a construction of an idol, right? Like mm-hmm. we we create Instagram ultimately as an idol construction tool, right? I can take a picture of myself. I mean, I just took a picture in, in you know, in the Grand, the Grand Central Station. I've never been there before. You know, I took a picture and I'm like, <laughs> and and I could dress that thing up and make myself look like the coolest dude ever. That's just, you know, we're hashtag living my best life mm-hmm. in New York City or so whatever, right? Or I could just be like, oh, whatever, you know, did not do that. Or I cannot yeah. post it all. There's different ways to construct it, and, and but it's it's not just what I do. It's my attachment to it. Yeah. Right. It's when I have this thing that's going. I can draw love from this. Mm-hmm. I can meet these needs.
needs that are unmet. Yeah, it's yeah. so true, and that's why so many people, even even us, like if, if you don't get a certain amount of likes on a picture, we're like, well, why didn't they like this picture? Mm. It's like you take offen offense to it. It's like that you consider that love, right. and I think that's so interesting. I'm sure a lot of lady ballers listening are you know, dealing with that, especially right. growing up with Probably social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mo way more than what we yeah. grew up with. Yeah. I mean, we had blackberries and stuff, but like, yeah. they, it's just so interesting. I have and a Sorry, Sorry. Do you have to say, do you think that parents on some level are doing the same thing through their child? Absolutely, like 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, that is the source of parent drama in youth mm -hmm. sports, is projection of unmet needs. Like, I have these wounded younger parts of myself, and I find out that when my kid scores that goal, I feel this unbelievable surge of love and affirmation, and I, that connection, uh, I now I need my child to do well, which is why they get in the car. And even though... Some part of me knows this isn't a good thing. I'm just like, how'd it go? Yeah. Did it go good? Did so it go like, bad? like, that's that, this like is the part I'm struggling with. Yes, because I don't know how I wouldn't be like proud of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and also well, like, you are you are proud. It's how yeah. you how do we express that? Right? Yeah. yeah. For, exa for example, my mom yeah. is the best mom. She's yeah. incredible. But the first thing she would ask me when I was younger was, well, what did the coach say? Like it mm -hmm. was like, what did coach say about me? Yeah. Not. Yeah. She's trying to trying She's to hold trying this thing to together. Find yeah. out, like what yeah. other people thought yeah. of me, yeah. Yeah. and like it annoyed me so much. Like yeah. that was like a thing that triggered me. Yeah. And I would be like, "Mom, shut up!" Like yeah. it would just like fly out of my yeah. mouth. And um, and then when well, the like, reason it annoyed you is because some part of you was going, yeah. "I do not want to have to work for your love," and that yeah. is not okay. Yeah. yeah, and she never did it intentionally. Yeah. Of course, but it was one hundred percent because of the way her dad taught her. Yeah, brought her yeah. up, mm. and I see that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you see all of our parents' past traumas are definitely put on us while right. they're raising yeah. us and yeah, yeah it's so not their but fault, not yeah not yeah, to be not a jerk fault. but I think my parents did a really good job at it sure. like I would yeah. kind of want to do what they similar to sure. what they did to me like yeah. be positive not overly positive not negative just like right exactly but then like be then proud of me but we have to rest the proof is in the pudding so then but then you're going to raise a child that once they get to college they're going to project a lot of that unmet need onto their coach yeah, but right. yeah. yeah, but it's hard because yeah. I I don't know I don't connect them to my coach. I see it as right. like, yeah, because we're dealing with a complete uh, it's the unconscious construction of you. Yeah, it's right. hard. And it is it is difficult because it's it feels countercultural, to I mean, but you know the research has been clear for a long time. Kids should not even play organized sports till they're about twelve. At all, like wow. it's literally, I literally like a fully support that, and yeah. I didn't until I was yeah. ten, I think. Yeah, it's adverse it's to their brain development, to their identity. I don't ever watch yeah. youth sports like seven, eight, nine, and watch it and think that it's healthy for anyone there. Yeah, it, and it is never. I, I sit <laughs> and all I can do is see all, all the yeah. all the things that are freaking me out watching right. <laughs> like yeah. the way yeah. parents and coaches and players and kids at that age are interacting yeah. with each other. None of it seems. Like no one is ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> when I said that in my talk at the USC, the, all these directors they probably are like, "How dare you?" They're like, "I'm like, I'm gonna say something controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Just stick with me." And I, and I said this, and I kind of felt the energy in the room. It's like, yeah. it's "What?" And I'm like, "Okay, listen, I'm not here to tear that down. I understand we've built a bit of a monster here. Yeah. Okay, and it is there what is it no is. There's no tearing it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we can mitigate it by creating an awakening in parents that moves against this cultural gigantic kind of tidal wave that we've created of un of unhealth, right? And what what we can do is it does feel feel countercultural, but part of it is because there are still parts of us like that are functioning in that trauma, right? And once we, once we really let go of all that stuff, you don't you can literally just stand there and and whatever I can accept that. Okay, I see all this research and I see all this stuff saying this is what's healthy, and I'm going to choose to believe that 
and I'm gonna my I'm gonna create my actions towards it. It's and it's hard for me too, especially because like I have determined. Okay, the research says this is what's healthiest for my kids. My kids are not gonna play organized sports till they're 12, and that's tough for me because my daughter is a beast. Okay, <laughs> we we adopted her, and and so I can't take credit for it, but she is an elite <laughs> athlete. I mean, her, her birth dad played tight end, Division One tight end. Birth mom was a high level soccer player, five ten. They're just she's an absolute stallion. I've never seen. Any, I've been working with kids for years, and she is not normal. And there's, I felt parts of me going. <laughs> you would, you would kill it on that. <laughs> we can get a lot of love there, you know, because she's always a like, daddy. Watch me, daddy. Watch me. And the stuff she does makes my jaw drop. Yeah. And and I could feel my ego. It's my ego that wants to go. Yes, yes. I could I could get something there. But what if what if I could just trust that if I do what's best for her emotionally and I just hold back the reins of my ego, will she be able to find her own own way? And maybe she plays high level sports. Maybe whatever, anything she touches, yeah. she's going to dominate. I guarantee athletically. You know, but at this point, I've been like, well, I wanted to be a challenge, so we just be putting on our snowboard and we're doing that kind of stuff. It's like, let's just go out there, her against the mountain. Let's see at the bottom, kid, and yeah. just go. But it is, it is a tricky thing, and you'll feel it the first time. It, one of the exercises in my book that I wrote, I wrote a, a guidebook. It's like a therapeutic experience for parents. And one of the first exercises for parents is that they have to observe their experience of their kids while they watch. So it's a you have to be in silence. It's almost like a silent meditation. I watch my child play, and I feel my body kind of go off, and that that response and then kind of hold it and observe it and see how it kind of reacts within you. Um, and I don't tell parents, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do. I don't, I don't do that. But I do want us to come to the point where we're fully conscious of yeah. what we're doing mm. and why we're doing I, I it. I love that's great. Yeah. So we should yeah, link that book to people. Yeah. yeah. It what could be a good Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what Christmas is, is too far. <laughs> Let's make yeah. this a <laughs> spring <laughs> gift. Well, the book, the book is, it's on, if you, if you, write, if you type Seth Taylor on Amazon, it'll pop up. But it's, it's called On Frame, uh, Exploring the Depths of Parenting in the World of Youth Soccer. And it's created by me. I wrote it and, and, uh, and my business partner, Patrick Iani. So we started Iani Training. And Pat is nine years in MLS and played in the Olympics and that kind of stuff. And we, a lot of this was born of helping him with his kind of major identity crisis when he came out of his professional career. Because all that trauma that we're talking about is all these pro guys are carrying it. And the women, they're all carrying it. And when their careers are over, and I'm sure you guys know enough high-level players and are there and are and are even like you're like you should be happy and they're not mm -hmm. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. you should be okay and they're not and they're scared to death of the end of their careers and their career comes and this depression sets in and it's all because that trauma is there their identity is so tied to this thing mm -hmm. that there is no knowledge of who they are outside of it so pat and i worked through that together and i helped him work through that in himself and then he came to me going hey man let's Let's start a revolution, and I said, "Okay, well, we'll s let's see what we can do." So we created this book from that. And we should so create one for awesome. players. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because we created one for coaches uh -huh. called the Coaching Revolution, and we, co we created one for for parents. Because when he first said, he said, "Let's create one for players," and I finally I was working on it. And when you're a writer and you're creative and you're, you're opening your body to go, what needs to be said here? And I was working on it after a while. I was like, "This is not wanting to be written," and, mm -hmm. and I'm like, "It's because they're not the problem." The parents and the co—that's mm. the problem. Mm. And I'm like, so let's start there. And at some point, there's a—I think—I think at a college level, po possibly, that there's a something to be created for them to heal themselves. That's what I'm that saying. Is like you were yeah. saying, like a lot of these pro players when they leave the sport, they yeah. lose their identity. And like I've experienced mm. that and wasn't anywhere near the professional level. I think every college mm. yeah. soccer yeah. girl feels that yeah. way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We've had a I lot of people say huge. that. And so we, we're we're talking about kind of going that direction now. We're trying to go at the parent thing and see if we can. Yeah. You know. 
kind of hit it at its source, if you will, you know, <laughs> and then uh, and then we're trying to create more resources with that. Pat's working with Pat's working with some players. He's got a he's got a client of his that he's doing the same thing I'm doing with you. He's t- she plays in the NWSL and I'm working with pro players as well, trying to help him with that. Yeah. But is it's a big problem, man. There's I mean there's millions, millions. Yeah, you know we're talking about here. So I know I just I love that we had you here because I feel like it's something that we want to help our our fans and help ourselves with and i think that Mm -hmm. like using our voice and our platform to to talk about these important topics is absolutely vital for us to do so we would just like we're so excited we hopefully can work with you on some things down the line and to continue helping maybe we can link a blog too and do something together so people can see like different things they can do to you know we we had a previous blog with seth which did really well um you you talked about anxiety and stress for for athletes but maybe we can do a little bit more stuff and we'll Post that, and also we'd love to share the link to the Mm -hmm. on-framed video as well, which is pretty powerful. I liked the cartoons a lot. Oh yeah, those Mm -hmm. are great, aren't they? Very helpful. I liked the kid being bigger than. I liked the goalie (laughs) when they kept going in the corner. You know what's funny? uh, There's a a great filmmaker out in Washington State named Shanika Lai, and she works for Washington State Youth Soccer. And they actually took they have this this thing called the Respect Campaign, and they took on-framed as one of the pillars of the Respect Campaign, and they're trying to help market it across the board in Washington State. And she just. I, we, we shot a bunch of footage and handed it to her, and she just created all that stuff for It's really cool. It's yeah, it, it, I so thought helpful. it was amazing the way yeah. she did it. Yeah. <laughs> when you're watching it, though, yeah. and just hearing your voice but watching mm-hmm. the visual, it really yeah. is amazing. So parents and, and players, yeah. please yeah. watch yeah. that check video. It out. We'll, yeah. we'll if you go to ianitraining.com, it's right there on the homepage. Okay. It's just I-A-N-N-I, ianitraining.com. Cool. Awesome. We'll put that in the description, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, this has been absolutely. very, thank very you guys enlightening. Are there any specific questions in there There's that we could pull from, or were they all like here? Let me see. Generically about uh, a lot just anxiety of them were and very similar. Let's see. Even if there were, just I'm going to run to the bathroom after this. <laughs> 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 I didn't want to miss anything. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a yeah, yeah, great. Thanks for talking. It's just so. It's like people are so scared to talk about it, and it's just yeah. so necessary. Yeah, it triggers parents a lot. Like, in oh, I'm gonna. Yeah. I can't even. Yeah, I feel like, because I'm yeah, in a world where I deal with parents and training their kids, okay. and it's okay. It is overwhelming. Sometimes yeah. it's so overwhelming I can't even focus. On yeah. You know. Gonna, you'll get a kick out of this. I had this mom. I was doing a workshop for a club in Philadelphia, and I did a workshop for one, and then in the next month came out and did the same workshop because because a lot of people had missed it, and this mom. After the first one, she went up to the director, who's a friend of mine, went up to the director and just said, that's it, I'm down, I'm out, I'm out. I can't, I can't not cheer from the side. I have to scream from the side. I have to, I can't do this. I want to do this. She just left. Right? And he called me. He's like, whoa, that was crazy. And then she shows up in the next one. I saw her in the front row again. Wow. And she brought her husband and her son. And they she all goes, need to learn how to not. She just know. goes, I need to learn this. I need to learn this. And literally, she, like, she's sitting in the front row, and she's got tears going down her face during the workshop. Right. And... And it was fascinating. She volunteered. I did this little thing with a bell-shaped curve, and she volunteered to come up and, and be a guinea pig with it. And then at the end, she stood up and started talking about her experience. It was fascinating to watch, man. But you could see her, her heart kind of breaking, but her consciousness expanding yeah. and just her awareness opening up. Uh, you do, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, put it closer to your face. Yeah, yeah the, the awareness, the, like her, her awareness was expanding, and she's realizing, oh, my God, this is what I've done. And here's why, and I think I know why I did it because it was done to me, which is everything. Every generation, we do it to our kids because they did we it. We just it carry the stuff. problems yeah. generation to generation. Yeah, so we pass it down generation after generation. We, you know, our parents, my parents were war veterans who were raised by war veterans who were raised by war veterans, and we pass this trauma on and on. And our kids, my kids' generation is going to be a freaking enlightened generation 
They, I mean, they have such intensely sensitive BS radars, you know what I mean? That they yeah. won't be, they're not gonna carry our anxiety, you know? And so, you know, we, if I can continue to recognize, I love watching when pe people go through on frame, you watch this awakening happen, mm. and they just turn and it just shifts the way they do family, yeah. and it's wonderful to watch. Man. I love it. It's incredible. Um, I'm looking here at the frequently asked questions, and there's a lot of similar ones, but I'm seeing a lot of how do you deal with mean teammates or teammates who yell at you, and I feel like yeah. this is a lot about the ego thing. Yeah, yeah. Can you time. talk yeah, a little bit about that? Well, and, and there's a little complexity that in, in you're dealing with a trigger, right? But one of the things that triggers this is not always our energy. Mm -hmm. Like I had this, okay, I had this player, and he plays, plays at a high-level D1, D1 school, and we had, we had this session, and I said, he said, I said, how was, how was practice this week? And he said, I, was, I had a terrible week in practice. I go, really, why? He goes, I don't know. I go, he goes, I mean, I was able to snap out of it. I go, well, well hold on. I go, tell me why you had a bad, you didn't just become a bad soccer player, mm -hmm. did you? And he's like, well, no. I said, what were you doing? And he goes, I was rushing my passes, I think. I go, why? I don't know. Think about it. There's a reason. Right. And then finally he was like, I, my coach was riding me, mm -hmm. like, all over me. And uh, this happens a lot with teammates. You know, they'll say something mean, they'll, they'll curse you like that. I mean, I remember uh, Pat actually talking about a teammate of his when he, he played his last year in Chicago. And he had this, he would call me. He's like, dude, I can't, man, I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah. And because that guy would project a lot of, and this happens a lot. Something bad happens. You'd see this with old school goalkeepers, right? Ball goes in the net and there's no way they can handle. So scream at everyone yeah, around yeah. them. I got to find somebody to project this onto. Yep. And what happens is if you actually could see the energetic fields, it's a massive expansion of your field and it just, I'm going to target you with it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm gonna, like I throw a dart at you. And players will do that a lot on the field. And if it hits you, the whole goal is to, one, stay in your body, right? Stay in your own energy and not take theirs on. But you can't do that if you're not aware of it. Yeah. Right. You have to have an awareness that that's not me. That that's their energy. That's exactly. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about that too, working together. I'm like, yeah. I can't keep letting other people's egos affect me because sometimes I would like, yeah. I would be like, whoa, I'm letting the, their issues yeah. become my issues, and right. you don't want that. So yeah. I think that's so important to note for, for these girls yeah, who that's a great question. it's very common. People yeah. are, you know, like teammates do that. Yeah. And whether it's their your fault or not, like it's great to just be aware that don't let that affect yeah. you but be aware of it as energy mm -hmm. if you recognize when they're doing that that the words and stuff that's just an expression of something that's happening on an energetic mm -hmm. level i've got all this trauma i need to get my needs met and you just threatened that mm -hmm. you made a mistake i had a player i, I played with years ago before, before i came to any of this awareness and i had all kinds of pain okay trauma my dad died when i was a kid I had all kinds of trauma from that i had classic daddy issues i had mom i had all kinds of issues mm -hmm. mommy issues daddy issues <laughs> grandma issues lots of issues and I had this, I was playing, and this was high-level men's league just after I was done with college, and I'm playing with this guy that literally was incapable of not cursing someone if they made a mistake. Like, anybody on the entire field that made a mistake that was on his team, he would just yell at you. Mm -hmm. every, and so every time the ball would come to me, if I had a turnover or I made a bad pass, come on, Seth! He'd yell like that, and he had this intense British accent, and he'd, come on, Seth! I remember one time, finally, I was so triggered, I was shaking. Mm -hmm. And I went over to him at halftime, I said, Hey, man, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but my dad died when I was a kid, and I cannot do this. <laughs> I need you to stop yelling at me because I can't focus. And it was so triggered. Yeah. Now, if I knew then what I know now, mm -hmm. I would have just I would have taken that trigger in, and I would heal the parts of me, and then I would have pushed back his field and said, mm -hmm. you keep yours. I'll take mine and heal it. You keep yours. Yeah. Yeah. And that, now, if we get into the depths of what all that is. We're dealing with energetic frequencies. Everything is vibrating. Everything is a frequency. You're just dealing with resonance. Yeah. Okay? So something that triggers me, 
from them, it's because we're dealing with the same frequency. Mm-hmm. And that's that can be helpful because it can help dig up stuff inside of me. But if I'm taking other people's stuff on, because maybe I was trained to, you were trained to, right? We talked about that a mm-hmm. lot. You were programmed, if I just take on other people's pain, then I can get love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what you were caretaking. Mm-hmm. So if some of us live with that, like, yeah, you can walk on me. I can take it. Yeah. You know, this is how I get love, man. <laughs> you know, some people take love by force. Some people pride you know? themselves on that. They're like, I'm the person who everyone right. comes to. You yeah. Know, it's yeah. It's you get that. There's every one on every girl's team, right? Yeah. yeah. There's there's yeah. a mom on every team. There's oh a mom yes. on every team. Yeah. <laughs> and she's she's busy getting love by just by giving herself away. Yep. The hard thing is that that will absolutely run you dry. Yeah. Deplete yeah. you completely. Yeah. Um, wow, this Damn. is this has just touched on the surface. Right, we could go for hours. Yeah, yeah. 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 and then you guys would be all puddles on the floor. Yeah, and <laughs> like I almost just puddled on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the longest I didn't go to the bathroom in yeah. forever. <laughs> guys thank you so 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 yes, much thank you Seth. that was great thank you for having me and yeah. we're gonna need a part two yeah I'm feeling there you go that was my whole can goal have you call in or when you come in town uh yeah i'm back in new york in late march all right yeah awesome. you know, i'll come in we'll do it a little deeper thank you we'll do the bleacher report yeah yes, yes. Yeah, all right lady ballers thanks for listening bye. thank you guys bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad that you did that